0: This is a recording made at the Chapel of the Open Book at the Wednesday dinner hour service. And in our last studies, we were considering the prologue or the preface, verses 1 to 18. And you may remember that it not only brings forward very prominently the person of our Saviour, in the beginning was the Word and the same was in the beginning with God, but it then goes on to say there was a man sent from God, the same came for a witness. So, although, of course, there's no comparison between John the Baptist and the Saviour, he was the first to admit it, I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose the latchet of his shoe. Yet, nevertheless, the inspired writer puts this John the Baptist right into the preface. There was a man sent from God. He was not that light, but he came to be a witness of that light. Now, in the Gospel itself, commences with verse 29. Uh, Verse 19, I'm sorry. Verse 19. The prologue is over. And the very first words are, And this is the record. Now that is a characteristic expression of John. You may remember that in his first epistle, he says, And this is the record that God hath given us concerning his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And then you'll remember, that when he draws to the close of this John's Gospel, he says, now these things have all been selected and written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through his name. Would you say to me, yes, well what's that all got to do with John the Baptist? Oh, that's the point, friends. That's the point. John the Baptist was sent as a forerunner to prepare the way of the Lord and prepare a people for him. The, both words are expressed. And the way in which it was done is that he could stand up and say, when the question was put to him, I am the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. So should we look at this verse 19 and notice the most evident uh, witness here is that these people, instead of being taken unawares by the appearance of Christ, they knew about it. And they had the records of the Old Testament hymn that read every Sabbath day. So that we are now beginning to face this fact, that the prologue said he was the light, but the darkness comprehended it not. He came to his own, but his own received him not. And then he could have gone on and said, and these people to whom Christ came, these people knew that he had been born at Bethlehem, but it wasn't a thing in a corner. Herod the king was moved about it and he sent inquiries to the chief priests and the scribes as to where the king of the Jews should be born, and they told him straight off in the prophet Micah it shall be Bethlehem. They knew it. And John the Baptist himself was an extraordinary figure, fulfilling the scriptures in a large measure, a forerunner in type and shadow of Elijah that is yet to come, and then suddenly, standing in the wilderness, that strange call, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so instead of us saying, all oh, these people didn't know a word about it, we all taken by surprise. Our Savior said to them, Moses, in whom you trust, condemns you. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me, and you will not come to me that you might have life. Friends, it's possible to say in the chapter of the opened book, we can be so obsessed with a page of Scripture as to shut out the Christ of God. If we haven't got de-mastery of Scripture, Christ in all the Scriptures. We shall have to e- echo the words of Hamlet at long last when he was pretending to be mad. They said to him, What are you reading? He said, Words, words, words. But all to be able to turn around and say, Not words, but I'm reading about him who is the Word that makes the written Word so valuable to us. So were these, these men Uh, These rulers, they sent a deputation to John, as you'll see in verse 19. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? It it was a stir, you see. This was a deputation by the leading people of the country. And they asked him, oh, and he confessed, and denied not the confessed, straight away, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. Because that was the uppermost thought in their mind. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? He said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? He answered, no. Well, they said unto him, no, you must tell us something. We can't go back with this. So he said, I am not merely the voice. Oh, well, it's so wonderful. I am a voice. He referred to the voice that's mentioned in the prophet uh, Isaiah chapter 40. He threw them back upon the scriptures which they knew, and which they had read in the the synagogues, continuously. I am the fulfillment of that prophet. But isn't it a wonderful thought that all true witness is this relationship of the speaker to his Lord? If Christ is the word of God, what should I be? I should be a voice, shouldn't I? And if Christ is the light, what should I be? I should be a lamp. In the fifth chapter of John, our version says that John the Baptist was a bright and shining light, and some people think that that's contradicting what it says in the first chapter. He was not that light, but there are two different words for light. One is photos, which is the light in its essence. And one is a lamp, which is merely a container and reflector. John says, "I'm not. I'm not the word. I'm only a voice. I'm not the light. I'm only a lamp." But you have a responsibility when the voice speaks about the word, and when the lamp shines with the light, and that's where the trouble was. The light was shining in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So then, we move from that, and we have John the Baptist's own testimony. This is a bit extra to any other part of the scripture. He not only came calling upon men to repent, but he was told that upon whom he should see the Spirit of God descending like a dove, he should know that this was the Messiah. And he says, I saw it. So again, there's another testimony in John 5, which is sometimes misunderstood by folks. You'll think, oh, I'm putting everybody right, won't you? But it's not that, it's simply adhering to the book. In John 5, our Saviour said, you have neither heard his voice, nor seen his shape. And you can lift that verse out and start speaking about the invisibility of God and all what not. But he's talking about the witness of John. The Baptist in John 5. He said, I have a greater witness than John, but even John had that witness from heaven. He heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. He saw the shape of the dove descending upon him, and he was convinced. So we have all these evidences and convictions that this man at last had come, the long-promised Messiah and Saviour. What a tragedy to be a people of the book To be a people of the temple. And you see there were indications that some were moved. We're told that an old man named Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well now if that man was a man of sense, which we take he was, and he was a very, very old man and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, it couldn't mean that he was going to expect that the one he was waiting for was coming hundreds of years afterwards. He was evidently moved by what he knew from the teaching of Scripture and the witness of God to his own heart that the time had drawn near. Somebody knew about the shepherds. Somebody knew about the visit of the kings. Somebody knew about the witness of the angels. Oh yes, it couldn't all be hid. It wasn't all done in a corner. And so you see we've got this. It's one thing to preach the word. It's another thing to have it believed. It's one thing to search the Scriptures and it's another thing to find the Christ. Or maybe just always be prepared to realise what a trap there is set for us just to turn us aside from the one that matters most, the person and work of the Redeemer. And so I'm, I'm hurrying over these things because uh, I'm leaving it rather to work itself. But the one emphasis that John puts, particular emphasis in this record is that he raised his finger and he said, Behold, The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That is is distinctively characteristic of the record here. And when those men heard those words, Behold the Lamb of God, two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Simple statement, isn't it? Oh, what a blessed thought. If you and I have an opportunity to speak, don't forget many a time to raise your finger and say, Behold the Lamb of God. For so there's a possibility that more than two who you speak will leave you and follow Christ. One of the most extraordinary examples of a successful preacher is the man who lost all his disciples. You say, goodness me, that man was a failure. No, that man was a success. He preached all his disciples away. John the Baptist preached this church empty, if you can call it a church, because they listened to what he said and they followed the Christ of God. And so we've got some strange things in this Gospel that I trust may be of use to us. Well then, just going on to this further things in this chapter, you'll see that a chain reaction has started. Two disciples followed, and they, they, Jesus turned and said to them, What do you seek? And they said, uh, Where dwellest thou? Now we might be speculating as to what that should mean. But anyhow, he said, Come and see. Come and see. And the thought, I suppose, that we could gather from that is that the Christ of God is not somebody who is static, somebody who is uh, lifted up in a sort of uh, stained-glass window appearance. You want to know where I dwell? You want to know what sort of person I am? Well, don't go to church to find out. Go home. all friends, that's a searching thing for you and me, isn't it? I wonder what sort of person I am at home. I don't know what sort of person I seem like here. Uh, but it would be a testimony, wouldn't it, if I could get a fairly good mark from home. And so he says, come and see. Well, they went to see. What they saw we don't know, but what we do know is this, that they had a conviction. They had a conviction. And it says, verse 40, And one of the two which heard Jesus speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And somebody has said, and I suppose it's true, that if Peter has the credit for the conversion of 3,000 souls on the Pentecostal period, Andrew's got the credit of 3,001. You see? You may sometimes say to yourself, you know, I couldn't stand up there at that Wednesday and dinner hour meeting to save me life. Doesn't matter. You bring somebody else, and then perhaps you'll get the credit that, that the speaker will never get, because it's all in the hands of the Lord. And we have all got our separate work to do. And Andrew did a rare job, didn't he? He got an extraordinary brother and he was a bit of a trouble, but he was there. And there was the two of them, Peter. And what did he say to him? He first found his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. That little slip there, which being interpreted, is a hint to you that John was written not to the Jews. No Jew needed to be told the meaning of the word Messiah you see, no no one needed to be told what the word rabbi meant in verse 38. So that's a warning in the first chapter, this book was particularly written for non-Jewish people, because now it's the world that is to be loved, and the world has to receive the witness. So the people of Israel who had the testimony and and didn't receive it, are now being put in the background, and the poor outside Gentile who had no knowledge is now being, as it were, evangelised. We see this goes on again. I've just got about two more minutes. And it says, uh, verse 42, He brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Kethas, which is by interpretation a stone. He was given a name. He was given a name because he was going to be one of the leaders of the movement that was going to ensue, but he was never called a rock. The church was never built upon Peter. There was a different word used. In fact, I think it wouldn't do us any harm if we remembered in our own language the word "rock" can be something that moves about a lot, as well as something that's stable. So, don't build on Peter. Build on Peter's one foundation, Christ Himself, the same as Paul's. Then, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee. Would go forth. He must needs go through Samaria. He would go forth in the Galilee. Why? There was somebody waiting for him. Friend, you don't always have to meet the Saviour. Don't forget he comes sometimes to meet you, in sometimes extraordinary fashion. And so we don't know how they met. But he found Philip and said unto him, Follow me. So he was someone who was brought directly into touch with Christ without anybody intervening. Andrew might be used for Peter, but we don't know anybody who stepped in between Philip and his saviour. So, there's no pattern here. God has his sovereign way of doing these things. Now, Philip was a Bethsaida. Beth- Beth- the city of Andrew and Peter. And there's the little hit. He came from the same city of Andrew and Peter. And somehow or another, something had crept round among them without being specifically told that to prepared this man's heart. Now, Philip goes on doing the finding. Philip findeth Nathaniel, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And he was the legal son of Joseph, we mustn't quibble over this because they were only beginning. And then Nathaniel makes the confession in verse forty nine Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And then the Saviour takes this Israelite without guile that is taking you back to the one who did have plenty of guile, that's Jacob, who saw the ladder going up to heaven with angels ascending and descending. He says in verse 51, And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The picture of the ladder that that the Israelite in the beginning saw is going to be fulfilled in the Christ of God. And we've got four days Mentioned in this chapter. One, two, three, four. The next day, the next day, the next day. Chapter two. And the third day, that seven altogether, was a marriage. I must leave it there. It's all leading up to that which the book of the Revelation leads up to. The marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. What the point there is, and how it fits with John's Gospel, I think we should have to leave for next time because our time is up.